you have a Bible, turn to 1 John chapter 3. Pull it up on your phone. If you're watching online, it should be on the screen. 1 John chapter 3. Let me pray and then we'll jump into this morning's message. Father, thank you that we who know you through your son Jesus can call you Father, that we are your sons and daughters this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask that that reality would be life-changing today, the, the reality that we know you, the creator of heaven and earth, as our Father. I pray that you would encourage every single person in this room and watching online by your word and through your spirit. Ask for your help to communicate the truths of your scriptures. And I ask this in your name. Amen. Well, to get us thinking a little bit, I want to ask you a couple questions. When was the last time you were absolutely amazed by something? You were floored by something. Something good happened to you and it brought you great joy. Hopefully that has happened at some point in your life. But let me give you some examples. Maybe it was an unexpected gift that it was your birthday or it wasn't your birthday and someone thought of you and gave you a gift unexpectedly. That, that brought you joy. Or maybe this has never happened to me, but maybe will someday, an all-expense-paid trip somewhere, a vacation that you didn't plan and you didn't pay for was gifted to you. Or maybe it was an unexpected promotion in your job that you, you advanced and it was unexpected. And with that became an increased salary. Maybe it was a marriage proposal. Maybe it was a visit to the doctor after hearing grim news. You heard a good medical report. See, news has that effect. Particularly good news should have an effect on us. This morning, what I'm going to try to persuade you from the book of 1 John, is that if you are a Christian, you have been the recipient of the greatest news possible. And not just, and it includes the forgiveness of your sins, it includes Jesus dying in your place, but what we're going to see is John wants to draw our attention to the reality of what it really means to be sons and daughters of God. What it really means to have God, the maker of heaven and earth, as our Father. And my prayer this morning is that we would experience what the psalmist wrote about in Psalm 34, verse 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who, who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see. See, When we think about some of these incredible truths of the Bible, they're meant to have an effect on us. They're meant to drive us to feel something on the inside as we wrap our minds around the spiritual reality that we have received. The title this morning is called, What Kind of Love Is This? And it's taken directly out of our passage this morning. What kind of love is this? So we're going to go through 1 John Chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, and then we're actually going to circle around to verses uh, 27 and 28 from chapter 2. And I'll make the connections when we get there. So first point, we are the recipients of unimaginable love. We are the love. Listen to what John writes, verse 1. See what kind of love 
the Father has given to us. That we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is because they do not know Him. And so we're going to spend a little bit of extra time thinking through the truths of verse 1. He begins by saying, see what kind of love, what, what sort of love the Father has given to us. See, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you've turned from your sins and trusted in Jesus as fully God, fully man, who died in your place, you have been the recipient of this love that is unimaginable and in many ways incomprehensible. That's why John uses this phrase in verse 1, see what kind of love the Father has given us. This, in its original context, that, that phrase could have been translated, uh, see, what, what country is this from? What, this is a different sort of thing. This is from another country. This same phrase, this what kind of phrase, was used to, to describe Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. And so to set up the context, do you remember when in the book of Matthew there was a great storm and the, the waves were, were raging and the wind was raging and Jesus stands up and he speaks to the wind and the waves. Look, look at it um, behind me. Matthew 8, 26 and 27. Picks up after Jesus stands up, tells the wind to stop, and it stops the waves to calm, and they just suddenly calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was a great calm And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and the seas obey him? Who does this? Who has the power and ability to speak to the wind and the wave? This is someone that is different than everyone else. That same phrase is what John is using in verse 1. What kind of love is this? That the God who made the stars would make a way for you and I to be brought into His family. See, if you are a Christian, you have been the recipient of this incredible love. And that should have an effect on you. That should give you hope. That should give you confidence. That should build your trust in who God is and how often you can go to Him and the fact that He's eager to hear from you. Think about it this way. This is Paul's words in Romans 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus the Messiah died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What Paul's saying there is that, okay, there, there are probably many of you watching or in the room that there's probably a short list of people that you would legitimately think you would die for. Probably close family members, a spouse, a really good friend. Oh, I would, I would die for them. Probably none of us 
we're honest, would die for our enemies, would die for those who hate us and despise us. But see, Jesus died for us when we were at our worst. And when we think about what he did on the cross, we often think about the reality that he switched places with us. And that's a true and incredible reality. We were credited with his perfect righteousness. He was credited with our sin. And so an exchange took place. So when we trusted in Jesus, our spiritual record is covered with his perfect righteousness. And all our sin was credited to him. And he absorbed God's punishment in our place. But none of that necessarily has to indicate that we're part of the family because we received that. So think about it this way. We have a state prison just a few miles away from here, Pine Grove State Prison. There's not a prisoner in Pine Grove that wouldn't love to switch records with a law-abiding citizen. So if you're a law-abiding citizen, you give them your perfect record and you absorb their criminal record. And when you switch places, you get the consequences of that record. They get the benefits of your record. That exchange is a beautiful exchange. And in the gospel, we have that exchange. But it's actually far, far better than just that exchange. And that exchange is incredible that Jesus takes our sins. But when we become Christians, it's not just that our spiritual record goes from being in the negative to being in the absolute perfect positive, but we are brought into God's family. Not as servants, not as caretakers on the periphery, but as sons and daughters. God adopts you and I into his family. That is a a wild, incredible kind of love. And that love can never be taken away. And and for some people, you might think, well, I don't know, aren't aren't we all God's children? Isn't every human being? Well, every human being, according to the Bible, is created in God's image, reflects God's image as an image bearer. But every human being is born with a sinful nature. And that sinful nature separates us relationally from God. So prior to becoming a Christian, we are not God's children. We are God's creation, but we're actually rebelling against him and deserving the punishment for our sins. So that changes radically the moment we trust in Jesus Christ. We're forgiven, our sins are washed away, and we are adopted into God's family as his son's And daughters, every one of you who has called on the name of Jesus is a prized, beloved son or daughter of the God of the universe. J.I. Packer has this great chapter in his book called Knowing God on the subject of our spiritual adoption. And here's just a couple phrases from that chapter. He said, you can sum up the whole New Testament teaching in a single phrase if you speak to it as a revelation of the fatherhood of the Holy Creator. In other words, it is a huge deal if God is your Father. If you can call Him Father. 
John Bunyan in The Riches of Bunyan writes, there is so much truth in that one word, Father, if you truly are a son or daughter of Jesus. J.I. Packer says this, Father is the Christian name for God. Father is the Christian name for God. There are other names of God in the Bible, but Father captures this, this incredible love that you and I have received. It's the Christian name for God. We can go to God, our Father. J.I. Packer said this also, this one, think about this, so pay attention. I'm going to say three words, and he said, in these three words is the summation of Christianity. I'm going to say the three words. might not seem so shocking to you at first, but I'll try to explain it. I don't have this projected behind me. These three words, adoption through propitiation. Adoption through propitiation. If you are here a few weeks ago, I had you all say the word propitiation because it's an important theological word that's in the Bible. But what J.I. Packer is saying is adoption through propitiation is the summation of Christianity. In other words, the fact that Jesus died as our substitute absorbed the wrath of God, removed the wrath of God, and then when we received Him by faith, we are adopted into the family of God permanently forever. That's the summation of Christianity. So, that is an incredible truth that should have a personal effect on us. It should give you confidence when you pray. You are praying to God, your Father, who deeply loves and cares for you. Listen to how Paul talks about the love of God through Christ. He said in Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Now listen to this part. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Who loved me personally. Now he's talking about Jesus the Son who loved me and gave himself for me. You could also say, I I live by faith in the Father who loved me and gave his Son, his perfect Son, his innocent Son, for me because he loved me. God so loves you that he sent his son to rescue you. So let's circle back around to 1 John 3.1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that they did not know him. The world doesn't know us because they don't know our dad. They don't know our father yet. This reality that you are an adopted son or daughter is meant to have a huge effect on your life. Let me give you an illustration. This is a, this is a real thing that happened years ago. My daughter, who's in the front row, this is a good story. So I, I didn't run this one by her, but she'll be fine. Um, She's soon to be 18. Lily, when she was probably two or three, was in the back of our minivan, and I was driving through a snowstorm. And I have three children, but that day it was just 
her and I for whatever reason. And, the, and the, I remember that the, the car seat was right in the center seat, right in the center middle. So I could see her through my rearview mirror. And so we are in a snowstorm and I'm driving through town on a very steep hill going down. And I, I, all I'm thinking is, well, I was thinking a couple of things like I probably shouldn't have been out here right now. That was a bad move. Um, but I'm out here, so we're committed. I don't want to hit a car. I don't want to wreck. I don't want to wreck with me in the car, but I really don't want to wreck with my daughter in the car. And so I'm, you know, I'm anxious, a little fearful, thinking I just got to, you know, just get home and then we'll be good. And I look in the rearview mirror and she is smiling, little curls everywhere. I think she had little glasses on at the time and as happy as could be. Well, why is that? She had total confidence in her dad at that moment. See, that's the effect. If God is your father, he's got you. See, I'm an imperfect father and an okay, not great driver. You have a perfect father in heaven. And so I want you to think of that image of of Lily smiling, joyful, trust in her dad as as how God wants us to respond. So think of whatever you woke up this morning thinking about, heavy on your mind and heart. Now think of it through the lens of God your Father who loves you so, so, so very much. See, it's meant to have that effect. You can go to Him at any time, all the time. And that's, the world doesn't know that intimate, personal love. That's why we need to tell them about Jesus. So as Christians, we have this present reality of our salvation. We have this present hope that is real. We really are saved. But we have this future reality that we will ultimately be saved one day where there will be no more sin struggle. There will be no more fears, worries, heartache, pain, sorrows, All of that will be washed away, which brings us to the second point. One day, we will see God face to face and be permanently and perfectly transformed forever. We will see God face to face and be permanently and perfectly transformed forever. Right now, you and I are not perfectly transformed. I'll just speak of myself. I am not perfectly transformed. I'm in process. You're in process. Look at verse 2. Beloved, we are God's children now. It's a present reality. We are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. One day, you and I are going to see Jesus face to face. And in that moment, it will all, all the battle, all the struggles, all the wrestling, all the fears, all the tears, all the mess of just navigating through this complicated, broken world will be swallowed up for a believer. We will be like Him. It will be perfect. There won't be, there won't be sinful thoughts that intrude as we're interacting with Jesus. There won't be sinful desires that, that, that distract and, and seek to take us away. 
Satan will be permanently defeated. Our sin will be completely wiped away. And so what John's doing here, he wants to draw us our attention to that and the reader's attention to that. And then he, he says, because this is true, because one day you and I will see Jesus face to face and all the battles and struggles will be over. Because of that reality, he says this in verse 3. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. One day you're going to be perfectly pure. So what he's saying is, therefore, strive now to pursue the Lord in holiness, in obedience to him. Be pure because he is pure. We're not going to do it perfectly in this life, but we're to strive to to work hard, to be like Jesus Christ, to be like our Father. See, one day Jesus will return. We don't know when that will be. We don't know if that will be in our lifetime. Lots of people think they know, but Jesus said, nobody knows. So we'll go with that. Nobody knows, but what we do know is we have to be ready. When I was a junior high school kid, so 12, 13, 14, during the summertime, uh, my parents both worked, so I was at home during the summer. My mom or dad would give me a long list of chores to do, and my dad um, was a machinist. He worked early, so he worked usually from 6 to 2.30. So I did what any 12, 13, 14-year-old would do. I waited to the very last moment of the, the summer day to just hit the turbo button and do all my chores in the last minute. So my, my typical day was uh, sleep in, um, eat junk food, maybe take a nap. At noon, I would watch Yo! MTV raps. Uh, every day in the summer is <laughs> really helpful for my growth and development. And then I, I might squeeze in a little bit more of a nap if I could or play some basketball in the driveway. And then I'd rush for my dad to be home, you know, to get all my chores done before he got home. And I think most of the time, my dad, he's probably watching, he, he knows that I, I didn't, didn't do a great job all the time. But I, I would try to do it. But see, here's the problem. If he came early, home early for whatever reason, the whole plan falls apart. Totally falls apart. What happens to us as Christians is we don't want to live like that spiritually. We don't want to just push it to the envelope. Like, rather than thinking, how far can I go in disobedience to my father before he really, you know, comes in and disciplines me? We want to be eager and pursuing him and worshiping him and delighting him so that if he comes back today or years and years from now, or even after we go to be with him, wouldn't it be so far better that he comes back or we go to meet him having had a whole lifetime of passionate pursuit of Jesus Christ? That's God's desire for us. We do it imperfectly. We do it impartially, but we're to strive for that. We're to be pure because he is pure. Another way to think of it. So God is our father. It makes sense that we we look like him, that we reflect his character. I mean, you think of it in a, a human sense. My ears stick out because my dad's ears stick out because his dad's ears stick out. We have ears that stick out. It's a family trait. 
Uh, there are worse family traits. It's not the best family trait, but there, there are worse that, that could happen. But in a, in a positive way, when, when God's Spirit comes inside of you and you become a Christian, you become a child of God, it makes sense that His will and desire is that you reflect Him. That people who interact with you think, oh, He must know God the Father. Or she must know God the Father really well. Because how she responded in that situation is not how I would have responded. That's how God the Father would have responded. See, we're to reflect who our Father really, truly is. But sometimes, maybe you've been a Christian for a little while, and you think, I'm trying. I am trying to live for the Lord. I'm trying to to fight for joy in Him. I'm trying to, to look like my Father, but I feel like I'm just making a mess of my life. Is it really possible to do this? The short answer is yes, it is. Point number three, we have been empowered to change and grow in this life. If you are an adopted daughter or son of God, you have God's Spirit in you. You can actually change and grow. It's one of the great realities of being a Christian. Look at verses 4 through 10. So this is a little dense, so, so engage your minds here. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he, Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil for the devil has been sinning from the beginning the reason the son of god appeared was to destroy the works of the devil no one born of god makes a practice of sinning for god's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of god By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I told you it was dense. It was packed with all kinds of stuff. John, the the aged apostle who's writing this letter, he speaks in very black and white terms. Either this or you're that. And you've been seeing that as we've been going through 1 John. He speaks in these absolute terms so we're just going to kind of try to understand them but the big idea of this section is if someone is a christian god's spirit is inside of them they've been born of god and they're going to be different not perfect but different than you once were so let's just walk through this quickly everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness sin is lawlessness in other words, he's describing someone who doesn't know the Lord yet. They, they don't just sin occasionally. They're, they're, they're just bent on disobedience to the Lord. could be in any kind of fashion. It could be in moral, arrogant, proud self-righteousness. It could be a perfectly law-abiding citizen who is just, just steeped in self-righteousness. Or it could be someone on the opposite end of the spectrum. Either way, they are enslaved to their sinful nature. 
and they can't do anything but rebel against the God who made them. And if that's you, the way out of that is calling on the name of Jesus, and he will free you, which is what verse 5 says. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no, no sin. So only one human could take away sins, and it was the one who was absolutely sinless. So Jesus is fully God, fully man, and perfect. So he's the only one who could do that. And he did that by dying on the cross as our substitute. Adoption through propitiation. Summation of the gospel. Verse 6. No one abides in him. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So let's Let's talk about this a little bit. He's not saying that you're going to be perfect if you become a Christian, but he is saying there shouldn't be a, an exact enslavement to sin like you experienced before you met Jesus. There should be a degree of progressive freedom that you experience. Not perfection, but change. Verse 7, let ch- Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. So now he's talking about the Christian. If someone is actually seeking to obey the Lord and really do it from a a heart and a motivation to obey the Lord, they're doing that because God has made them alive. They are among the righteous. Verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. So someone who is just completely enslaved to sin is, is what we heard about this morning while we were singing when Pat read Ephesians 2. They are enslaved to their sinful desires and passions, and they are under the rule and reign of Satan. And John's basically saying the same thing. Then in verse 8, the second half says, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And so he obliterates it. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him And he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. So becoming a Christian is way more than just mental assent to a few facts that are in the Bible. It's calling out to Jesus Christ and putting your trust in him. And when you do that, the Bible says you are born again. God's spirit comes inside of you. And when God's spirit comes inside of you, there will be evidence over time. Now, sometimes that evidence for a while is all internal, meaning we can't see it. You can't see it. I can't see it. The Lord can see it. So maybe the person becomes a Christian and their outward behavior is not really changing too much, but inside they're feeling guilty about things they didn't feel guilty about. They're thinking positively of how to do things good things for people that they hadn't thought about before. See, that, that's a change. And over time, that change will show up in people's lives. I don't know if you've eaten an apple in the last few weeks, but they taste awesome right now. I think this is like the, the best apple season ever um, because of the, the warm weather. But if you go to an orchard, and let's say there's 100 trees, and there's apples in every tree, and then there's one tree that just looks different, that has never, ever, ever had any fruit on it, ever. So we're saying time has elapsed, 
it's appropriate to, to ask the question, at least ask the question, is that tree the same as the other trees? It doesn't seem like it's the same as the other trees. Why is that? So this is an area we have to be really gentle and careful about. Because the, John is not saying that a Christian will be perfect. But he is saying a Christian will be different. How do we know he's, he's not saying that? Because he has said this in 1 John, he says, and he's writing to Christians, verse 8 through 10, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him to be a liar and his word is not in us. So he, he's not arguing for perfectionism. He's arguing for a changed life that over time will reflect the reality that you have been born again. So that is very different than if on the way out of church today, Sean and I are both at attending classes at Midwestern Seminary that we, we, that Sean is handing out an exam from his Old Testament and New Testament courses and just say, hey guys, uh, before you leave today, just fill us out and let's see how you do. There are some people in the world that could do outstanding on that test, get 100%, but they're not born again. They don't have a relationship with the Lord. They know a whole bunch of information about the Bible, but they don't have that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what John is pushing towards. It's, it's not enough to just know true things. We have to call out to Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And when you do, He brings you into the family. Now this is a difficult subject to navigate. I think it requires great wisdom. Parents, it requires great wisdom. If you have friends that, that seem to just be crashing and burning, but they say they're, they're Christians, it, it, it requires great wisdom. Ultimately, God alone is the one who knows if someone is truly born again or not. But if there is no evidence at all, a loving mom or dad, a loving friend, would be wise to ask some questions. So I'm saying as, as time elapses, you're, you're, you're wanting to know how many days, how many hours, how many months. I don't know. Pray to God for wisdom. But do it in a non-judgmental way. Just say, hey, you, you call yourself a Christian. What's that mean? What do you think that really means? And how, how has Jesus transformed you? How is Jesus at work in your life? And they might give you an answer that's a good, solid answer. They might say, I don't think I am a Christian. I just know a lot about the Bible. If that is you, there is so much more than knowing a lot about the Bible. You can know the author of the Bible. And you can know him as your father. You can know Jesus as your brother. Jesus as your Lord and as your Savior, as the one who can actually set you free from the things that hound you and ensnare you. So for all of us who do know God as our Father, last thing we're going to talk about is how, how can we grow? How can we be more like Him? This is the fourth point, and this is where we're looping back to chapter 2. We must be rooted in Christ in order to grow and prepare for His return. We must be rooted in Christ. So we're going to loop back around. I felt good being out of order with this 
sermon because if you read the letter of 1 John, he, he just kind of jumps all over the place all the time. My kind of guy. So we're going to take some liberty and do that. So look at verses 28 and 29. And now, little children, that's what he called all the Christians, abide in him, remain in him, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. Isn't that the goal? I mean, that's one of our goals as pastors, that the whole church would be eager and ready if Jesus would return, that nobody would be ashamed at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. So what do we do? We grow deep roots in him. We spend a lot of time with Jesus. We worship him. We sing to him. We get to know him through his word. We get to spend time with his people. And as we do that, our roots will grow deep. Uh, on Thursday, if you, you live in this area, we had torrential downpours. And at times when that happens, trees, large old trees fall over. Well, the reason they fall over is because their root system is not strong enough to hold them. Some fall over. Many never fall over. Well, what's the difference? Some have deeper, stronger roots. That's what we want as Christians. If you have ever come to me for help in any way. So any kind of discipleship thing. Um, maybe uh, you've met with me for premarital counseling or, or help for marriage stuff or you want to be a leader in some way or you want to make an impact for Jesus uh, or if you've really come for kind of any way like I, I just can't make progress in this area of my life or I'm ensnared to this particular area. For all those questions... I usually share this verse that I'm about to share at some point in the conversation. I know I always share it in premarital counseling. And it has nothing to do with marriage. It's John 15, 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The reason I love this verse so much, it's so simple, it's so clear. Jesus is the vine. He's the life giver. As we, His branches, are connected to Him, spend time with Him, worship Him, talk to Him, get to know Him more. We get His spiritual life in us in greater and greater measure. And then it says, you will bear much fruit. So if you want to make an impact for Jesus, spend time with Jesus. Worship God the Father. Ask the Holy Spirit to fill you over and over and over again. Because apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Let's have the band come up. As they're coming up, I want you to think of this image of spending time with the Lord. And I want you to imagine from this point to the point you go to meet with him or he returns, that you have done this. That you have really spent a lot of time with Jesus. You, you know him. You love him. He knows that you love him. Listen to what will happen. This is in Matthew chapter 7. 
This is a parable that Jesus gives to those who are living for the Lord. And this will be you if you abide in him. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on the house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat the house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. Let's pray, if you guys wouldn't mind standing. Father, thank you that we can call you Father. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would fill every one of your children with your spirit and a song. And Lord, open the eyes and hearts of anyone who doesn't yet know you. We ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.